Welcome to the Inside Envy podcast, where we bring you, the listener, inside Envy's walls to join us for conversations about cycling and a deep dive into the science and insight behind our brand, the people, and the products we create to deliver a better ride experience. Welcome to the Inside Envy podcast. I'm your host, Jake Pantone, and I'm joined in studio with Neil Shirley. Hi. He's co-hosting the show with me today, and behind the soundboard, we have DJ AJ Pedal-Turner, our very talented sound engineer. And uh, today, our topic is the evolution of road, and to get into the details on that, uh, we have in studio with us two of Envy's most tenured design engineers. We have Clint Child, who has been with Envy for uh, around six years now, and also we have in studio Kevin Nelson, who is also a design engineer and has had a hand virtually every product that's come to market since our inception. So to kick things off, we're going to go to Kevin to give us a little bit of background about how he came to Envy and why he's still here. Yeah, so um, I kind of wanted to be in the bike industry since I was in high school, I guess. Um, Went to college with that aim um, and managed to uh, land at GT Bicycles in 97, I started. Um, and was there until they, uh, shut the place down in, in Santa Ana and then, um, got to do all sorts of cool things and then went, um, to specialized, uh, for a couple of years. Um, and at that point kind of realized, you know, at that, at that time, um, development in the bike industry was really, um, a lot about, uh, drawing, um, designing, coming up with concepts, um, and then kind of sending them over to a, a factory to manufacture somewhere else. And that wasn't what I had done at GT and that wasn't really what, what I was really interested in. Um, and so since then kind of looking for a place where I could, um, especially with all the composites going on, could really dive all the way into it. Um, my feeling has always been that, you know, when you work with an outside vendor, you're, um, you can only achieve about 85 or 90% of your design intent. Um, but it, when you take control of the entire process, you have an opportunity to get a little bit, a little bit further into it. And so, um, that's kind of, that's kind of what brought me here and that's kind of what's kept me here. So awesome. Clint. Hi everybody. What, here? what am I doing here? <laughs> I don't know. Um, where to start? I think my my interest in cycling probably started when I was 14 or 15 uh, in Boy Scouts. I had uh, an activity, we had a scout meeting where this guy showed up with a leather helmet, and I'm not allowed to touch the table, <laughs> a leather helmet and leather shoes that had holes in them and they clipped into his pedals and I brought my BMX bike and we went on like a 10 mile bike ride uh, to start the cycling merit badge. Um, and at the end of that, I just thought that guy was so cool. I went home, got my dad's 10 speed out of the garage and uh, took the whole thing apart, cleaned the entire thing, put it back together and just started riding. And um, from that point on, knew that um, I would like to be at least in the sporting goods industry and at the same time had an interest in engineering and um, just out of school kind of land, was lucky enough to land here and kind of bring those two things together into my dream job uh, and just really, uh, really love it here. So. so I think that's awesome that you're uh, the Boy Scouts brought you to cycling. Oddly enough, that's uh, that's what uh, got me into cycling as well was, uh, I mean, I played all the team sports and it, I remember we were doing the, the cycling merit badge and we did this horrible ride. It, I was living in Seattle at the time when I was in Boy Scouts and we did this ride over Snoqualmie Pass, which was for the 50 miler. And yeah. so we go out, there's like eight scouts or whatever. And I was, I was, you know, playing baseball and I was doing swim team, both those things at the same time. And my dad was always into cycling, but I, I mean, I didn't really fully understand like what it meant to be a cyclist, you know, it was just like, oh, this is cool. And then mountain biking was kind of this cool new thing where, you know, guys on hardtails were getting rowdy and riding their, uh, mag 21s on bikes like voodoos and trying to think even going back mongooses were still pretty cool then um hey sound engineer what's going on with my mic well i'm gonna get closer 
<laughs> and uh, GTs were were hot too. GTs were thanks hot. to Kevin. The Zizang. Oh no, that was before me. But the, yeah. the Zascar <laughs> first mountain bike I rode was a Zascar XTR and a Mag Twenty One. <laughs> yeah. So I got my. I couldn't afford that though. So yeah, that was like that was, that was high zoo high roller stuff. It was like thirty five hundred bucks for one of those bikes or something. I don't know. I, I borrowed dollars. it from the shop owner and went riding, and I. It might as well have been a million dollars. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> did the more anod more anodized purple, the better for sure. So, oh, yeah. I uh, I talked my dad into well, talked to me. It wasn't hard. We went down to the bike shop and I got myself a mongoose hilltopper, full rigid, you know, burnt chrome. Sick. And uh, <laughs> we I started doing the Boy Scout merit badge, and anyway, we go on this fifty miler over um, uh, Snoqualmie Pass, and it's just pissing rain like from the beginning, and it's probably you know. 52 degrees and just raining. And by the end of that ride, I was the only one that finished out of all the Boy Scouts. <laughs> Everybody else had, I don't know, they succumbed to the weather and bears and things like that. And and ever since then, like the couple of leaders that were real cyclists were like, yeah, you need to get into riding bikes. And I didn't still, still didn't know what that means. So, man, so I just kept riding bikes and yeah. But yeah, Boy Scouts, big, yeah. big shout out to the BSA. It must, it must have really <laughs> taken off because later, I guess two years later, um, there was eight of us in that same scout group that ended up doing uh, a 400-mile, four-day um, adventure from the top, the top of Utah to the bottom of Utah. And so, um, and out of that group, everybody still really likes biking. So hmm. must have been I feel left out. Impactful. I didn't do, didn't get to do Boy Scouts. You were so. just better than the rest of us. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I chose to stay away. And now I have two girls, so. Well, they can do Boy I, Scouts I'm, now, too. Oh, that's right. Scouts. <laughs> yes. So basically the evolution. So this episode, this this discussion, we're, um, we digress a little bit, but maybe not because from our. It's what we do around here. From our, <laughs> from our humble Boy Scouting mountain bike adventures, we turned into road cyclists at some point and, um, while I would still never define myself as a roadie, the truth is I spend a lot more time on a road bike by hour and mile than on a mountain bike as do pretty much everybody in this room. So, um, I see shaved legs. Yeah. It's, so. it's, you know, when in Rome. Yeah. That's your, that's a, that's your roadie tattoo. The shaving roadie your tattoo. legs. Yeah. Yeah. I tried, but, we tried, we, we went out, we held out for a long time this year. Yeah. I mean, you held out the longest. I got tired of just the bushy, the bushy legs. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin's lucky. He doesn't grow hair on his legs. Yeah. Huh. Like, so he's just like born with a predisposition for rodeism. <laughs> I was made for this. <laughs> <laughs> so on this show today, our discussion is primarily to be focused and centered around uh, road and how the sport has evolved, um, mostly from a product standpoint. You know, that's what we specialize here in it and here in at Envy is product development and you know, we've been doing this for a little, well, going on 12 full years now, um, not counting the work that happened before we actually um, sort of opened the doors and start hiring people. But, um, you know, in, in 12 years of designing specifically rims and other components for road cycling, as well as the other disciplines, we've, we've seen the uh, shapes of rims, we've seen the bikes, we've seen about everything. Uh, change a lot and um you know some of those some of those changes have been uh driven by us to some degree and others uh are simply concepts and ideas that we've um, been inspired by and ran with but i think to kind of kick things off here let's just quickly talk about you know what what is it that we didn't know then that we know now and anyone can Feel free to chime in if you'd like to inspire us with your answer. This may be a side tangent, but I we we read comments and forms, right? So most of I, them, most most <laughs> of them, a lot of them are really funny. But I feel like there's a perception out there that every Monday morning, uh, people in the bike industry have a meeting where they discuss what standards we can introduce in order to force people to buy more bicycles. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> I mean, not to me, but probably to a lot of people. To yes. a lot of people. Okay. Well, we just have to trick people or like change the standards. So people have to, have to, you know, buy a new bicycle. And I, yeah, that, uh, 
that discussion. I don't think we've have we ever had that discussion. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but yeah, it just seems like the evolution happens more naturally. So that's that's I guess the segue into in your question is there's not really a we don't like sit around and come up with ideas just for the sake of coming up with ideas. There's well, let's let's go back to. I mean, let's go back a little bit, not to, not to get too deep into the weeds, but at one point I know I was riding a 21 millimeter, um, tufo tubular and I was pumping that sucker up to 150 PSI. <laughs> yeah. And I was 22 years old or so. And I would go race on that wheel and tire setup. And you know what? I thought it rode really harsh, but I thought that was fast. I mean, so what you know for me that's one of the things that i know now that i didn't know then is that you know there's a volume and pressure story out there that we didn't know anything about or at least wasn't a really common wasn't a super common discussion back in the early 2000s late 90s yeah i mean i when i was racing uh through college and stuff i i had a teammate that would do the same thing i had a set of spinergies and he'd pump up his tubular so 140 psi and We'd go race on, you know, bricks for a few hours and it's like, wow. Um, but I mean, early on here, I mean, I, I think our, our focus, um, with envy, I think what we were sort of built on is trying to, um, trying to dispense with the sort of marketed outwardly, um, visual features and just try to distill things down to, uh, what provides a better overall ride, ride experience um, you know, weight, aerodynamics, what, whatever it is, comfort. Um, and so I think er, our early, um, rim shapes were very, um, you know, they were sort of simple. Like we had the, the 38 millimeter one that was clearly designed around being comfortable. Um, and the 65 that was, you know, supposed to be more aerodynamic, but we, we were sort of making assumptions about the, the aerodynamics at the time. And, um, and as, um, as we got into it a little bit more and started thinking, thinking more about that, we, we, we clearly, we, we found that, you know, the aerodynamics was, was super significant. And so, so that, I mean, I think that's an interesting catalyst because I remember we had the 38 and the 68, which was actually a 65, but we wanted some uh, consistency in the line. So we had this 38 and the 68 and we had this design philosophy about function first. And like you said, we basically stripped out any bells and, you know, it was, it was all about the performance of the rim. Right. Well, I mean, the ideas that we were following at the time were the, you know, the solving the issues with carbon rims at the time. And we were thinking we, we came from a construction background, right? So we, we were thinking all about, and when I say we, I mean, I, I think this, you know, is other people at the, at the time and they were, and they were, you know, really thinking about how do you build a more durable carbon wheel? Right. Um, how do you absorb impacts better? How do you prevent spoke, spoke breakage? Um, and so, you know, we have molded spoke holes from the beginning and we have, um, you know, um, construction techniques that provide, you know, better impacts than, than what was available at the time. And that was, that was our mindset because we were builders. Um, and so we were thinking about like, how do we design the molds to, to be able to reduce the, you know, the time that we put into finishing and how do we do those things? Those are the problems we were solving. Once we felt like we had those, then you look at, you look at like, okay, what else, what else should we be looking at? And, um, you know, I think at the time and throughout history until, uh, somewhat recently, you would assume that the, that the, it's aerodynamic if it's really narrow. Um, and so, you know, 20, 20 C tires, 18 C tires, I, I, you know, I remember. Um, and you know, but then when you start kind of questioning those things, um, and you start saying, you know, it's gotta be comfortable. It's gotta be all of the things at the same time, then you, then you really, yeah, it's hard to, <laughs> looking back, it's hard to, well, not hard, but it's it's surprising to actually remember that we didn't even have a clincher initially. Like we were, like there's a few sort of prototypes rolling around, but we were all riding tubulars almost all the time. 
Yeah, that's true. There was a was it was kind of a time period there. Yeah, it was about a year of just tubular. tubular yep. But yeah, I think the aerodynamics piece is interesting because like you said, we, you know, we were really focused on solving the existing problems that abounded with carbon rims. So it was all about durability effectively and then the construction um, processes. And we, you know, we introduced things like the molded spoke hole and we were removing the bladder material, which were things that were improving the whole carbon wheel experience in general, meaning like if you're a wheel builder, and that was one of the areas where we really first gained traction was sending rims to custom wheel builders, of which there were quite a few more back in the day. And it seemed that the consistent feedback was that it was the most enjoyable carbon rim to build at the time because of things like the consistency of the spoke holes, as well as the fact that there wasn't bladder material inside the rim that would then cant or mess up you know, getting the spoke through, you know, compressing bladder material between a nipple and a, and a spoke. And then, you know, eventually that leading to uh, broken spokes and things like that. So the issues we were addressing early on were very much uh, structural, like problem solving the structural problem of a carbon rim in general, it's a new material. And then as we evolved, we started looking out in the market, we started putting product into the market. We said, you know, what about this triathlon thing? I mean, I remember that specifically in somebody's you know, like, oh, we got to go to Kona. That's where, that's where everything, all things triathlon happens. So we went to Kona full well knowing we didn't have a, um, a, an aero story specifically, meaning we didn't have anything published. We didn't have graphs and charts. And so, uh, came, whoever went to Kona came back and basically said, yeah, everybody wants to know about aerodynamics. And, um, you know, I remember at the time going to trade shows, like, saying like, yeah, it's 65 millimeters deep. And this is, this is an arrow wheel. It's got a, you know, a nice arrow profile to it, but there was no, there was no science or data backing those, those discussions up and we didn't necessarily have the arrow charts. So we went to the wind tunnel and what did we learn? You remember? Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, we, yeah, we, we joined a, a wind tunnel test. Um, it was when we were, we were changing the shape of the, the 38, we were going to eliminate the 38 and make a shape. Um, for the new 45, right. it was more based on the, on the 65 and, um, and we, so we brought it to the wind tunnel and just compared and, uh, we were testing with felt, they were doing some frame testing and we kind of piggybacked that. And, um, we found a really significant improvement between the 38 and the 45, but also saw that there was just a, there was just a ton of room to improve at that point it was so we were kind of making preparations for like how how we were gonna realize those gains um yeah, yeah. so i mean i think that i think that that experience was really important though and when you think about the history of the company because it, we'd been looking at the holistic structure and design of a carbon rim like how do we manuf like how do we make tooling that aids and efficiency for construction and manufacturing of a carbon rim and what specifically in the carbon layup it is, you know, is for the purpose, you know, is for a purposeful, purposeful application of carbon fiber. Um, so we're molding as much as possible into the rim. There was a point where we were actually drilling the valve stem hole and we switched to molding that into the rim as well. So, we're, you know, we're molding every feature we can into the rim as possible to, you know, to maximize the material itself and as we got better and better at that we then expanded our horizon with this knowledge and sort of just having the space to be able to look at it and say like okay we've solved or we've got a really good you know foundation of structure and the process and you know so what's next what what do we need to now be looking at and it came down to rim shape effectively and so we don't need to go into details like super deep into the details but we we partnered with an aerodynamicist, Simon Smart, and that was the catalyst for Envy's Aero, um, official Aero introduction back in 2010 when we launched the Smart Envy system. And so, um, so you did, were you here, Kevin or Clint? Were you around yet for the launch of the SES wheel line? I came in right after the line was launched and some of my first projects were bringing on the disc brake versions of those those original wheels. Okay. So when we look at that first line of smart Envy system wheels, um, we added, uh, you know, we added another 
layer of um, functionality to the wheels, which was aerodynamics. And we start, we sort of added that to the checklist of holistic performance, so to speak. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, the relationship with Simon, you know, he, he had some, uh, he had, he definitely had some strong opinions about how, how to achieve, achieve that stuff. And we had, um, we were definitely, um, wanting to maintain our, the sort of holistic approach. Like we didn't want to transition from having a, a, a durable wheel, um, to having a, you know, durable wheel that was super aerodynamic, but didn't ride very well. You know, we, we, we wanted to maintain that ride, that ride, um, characteristic. Um, and so, and, and he was really, he was really good that way too. And I just, I just remember how eye opening um, riding those first, those first wheels was like how, how much different it, it felt to ride a wheel that was that fast. And, and because of Simon's experience with formula one and his, and his um, interest in making, making a really good rideable wheel, they were also, also really stable and he did a, did a lot of work, work to do that. And that really, you know, things that we sort of assumed were just inherent to a wheel, to, to the way a wheel rode, like all of a sudden becomes like, wow, it doesn't, doesn't have to be that way. That's incredible. Yeah. Simon was really good about bringing the holistic approach to aerodynamics in just like we had, had the holistic approach to the manufacturing or carbon layout process where he could balance, um, stability, speed, uh, you know, and those kind of things and not just say, we're going to make the fastest wheel, but unrideable, or we're going to make uh, a really stable wheel that wasn't very fast. And he also looked at, you know, how does the front wheel, uh, come in contact with the air differently than the rear wheel. So there's different depths, different widths. Um, and how does, how does that interact with the bike frame and even the rider and his, his, his holistic approach there, I think really uh, paid off for us. And so, I just want, and, and, and multiple bikes too, yeah. to be so able that, to make sure it works on anything. Let's talk about that a little bit because I think this idea of holistic performance is interesting, but what we, what we marketed that at is real world fast. Yeah. Like that's what we talked about. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Like what is the evolution of a, of a rim shape that results in real world fast? Like what did that mean when we were first telling that story? Like what, what were we coming from and arriving at in terms of launching this line of wheels? Um, well, I, I mean, just to kick, like we rode, like our 65 was kind of the popular wheel and we were racing a lot of crits at the time and doing our lunch rides. And specifically one of the experiences I remember is anytime we descended mm -hmm. the West side of the pass in the afternoon, you have, you know, very twisty descent and, um, gusty Canyon winds and 50, yeah. mi 50 miles an hour. So the first time. I came in, like we mentioned earlier, I came in after the original uh, aerodynamic SES wheels uh, were launched here at Envy. And I, those were my first experiences riding three, four, three, four, six, seven, and eight, nine wheels. And at some point I got my hands on a set of 65s from Taylor, one of the original owners. And I put it on my bike and we did that normal lunch loop where we're, you know, 1500 feet of climbing up North Ogden divide. Come, and then turn around coming down in the heat of the day with the swirling winds. It literally almost blew me off the road, which is a thousand thousand foot drop off the side. And I, oh, it's got, only like 800 feet off the side. It's only like 800 feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm an engineer. I'm not allowed to exaggerate. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I got back to the office, took the wheels off and never put them on again. Um, yeah. they, I mean, for their time, they were probably a great will, but in certain circumstances, they were honestly just well, scared. Yeah, I mean, the, but the assumptions at the time were that you could ride those wheels for certain certain uses. You know, they were great for crits. They were great for whatever, but you wouldn't want to use them as any kind of mountain situation. And there was all sorts of discussions about what carbon wheels were capable of. And sure. So we, you know, we had, we had of all these experiences, right? And like, I guess what I'm getting at is we didn't really know what stability meant in terms of speed and confidence. Right. And as we looked at this philosophy of real world fast, we were saying, yeah, there's a lot of really fast rim shapes that have been developed in a wind tunnel. And, you know, 
via a variety of different methods and matters. But one of the things we did early with the SES is we developed in frame and, you know, our whole goal and our, all of our objectives were to, and this was based on many of the, much of the learnings that Simon had had working with professional athletes in the wind tunnel, right? Is that he could test them in the wind tunnel on a wheel, a super deep wheel saying wheels back then were there was a handful of wheels in the 80 well, even to up to 110 millimeter deep category. Um, so you test these wheels in the wind tunnel and sure they produce really like really low drag coefficient, but then these riders would go out to their race, um, be it Kona or any triathlon or some time trials or whatever it may be. And, you know, in the UK specifically, they're riding between hedgerows and, you know, the hedgerows protect you and then you have an opening and the wind's going, you know, 20 miles an hour through there and it blows you off the road or something. And, so there's this instability that ultimately resulted in riders not riding these wheels that were supposed to be the fastest wheels or available or, um, and I think, I mean, my, my kind of feeling I was, or riding them, assuming that they're going faster, but not realizing those, those gains because you're not maintaining your position, giving up aerodynamics that way. Um, not producing the same power that you would expect to, because of your your positioning and just like exerting your energy and just trying to keep the bike on the road. Um, and yeah. so Simon really was all, all about like, you know, in our discussions, we were really all about like trying to find what's the best balance. Like we, we obviously don't want to just, you know, swing pendulum all the way over to just a stable wheel and then have it not really be fast either. There is a certain amount of, you know, um, having, you know, control controlling the bike and so he is his you know like the first generation we talked a lot about like linearity of the um steering the um steering index steering index yeah yeah um so that you get a predictable predictable feel so when you get a gust from the left you feel a pressure from the left and you steer into it um but you don't necessarily feel nothing um which is, which can also be a little bit weird because then you can get these kind of like oscillations that are all a little even more alarming than even feeling the wind. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I remember that being a real standout with the first generation SES was like um, those wheels had that moment it more centered around the hub or something. And right. you just, it just was this vague wandery feeling in the wind, which, I mean, it was stable, but it was, absolutely unstable because you couldn't predict the movement. So you'd be moving your body in a way that your brain would tell you to like to lean in and counter steer, but then there'd be nothing there. So the end up, you end up just swerving or the right. you know, wheel would correct. So that was, you know, we, we had this steering torque of the steering index that was basically trying to achieve a one-to-one. -one. So for every, you guys can correct me was what for every basically kilogram of force you put in or the winds putting in, you're putting in an equivalent effort was kind of the idea. Yeah, and that varied with different wheel depths. So, like the the eight point nine would have had a steeper steering index than the three four, but all of them linear throughout the the, the eye angle, the curve, yeah, yeah. or the not curve, <laughs> the line, <laughs> the lin linear throughout the linear part of the line, <laughs> right? Um, wow, that just got real Sorry. technical. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the, the, the idea was this real world fast. And so, yeah. um, I think the takeaway there is the reality is that in that time, it's not that long ago. I mean, we're talking 2010, 11, um, we're talking about riders are out there on hundred millimeter deep wheels or less like our 8.9 was a wheel that just came out and that was um, an improvement over some other 80 ish millimeter deep wheels in terms of the stability. But the idea was that riders were on these super deep wheels, um, giving up, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 Watts. Um, because their body position was their the stability of the bike system in general required them to give up that much um, just to maintain their confidence on the bike so they're you know putting wheels on that's supposed to save them you know maybe 10 15 watts back then and then giving up 20 to 30 because they can't ride them um, and so that was one of the problems we started looking at so to to build on that now we have we have a great rim structure we've now done these pretty extensive studies in the wind tunnel working with um, an aerodynamicist with a with a great reputation and a lot of experience in cycling and um, a lot of great ideas. And we come out with this new line of SES wheels that um, now add stability and aerodynamics to the equation and 
generally improved the ride experience a lot. I mean, we had a good line. We had the three, four, the five, or the three, four, the six, seven, and the eight, nine, as, as Clint mentioned. And, and then from there, we continued to, um, you know, evolve. And so that first generation will was designed and developed around a 23 millimeter tire, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was 23 to 25, but it developed around 23 for sure. Best aerodynamic performance at 20, rim shape yeah. at 23 millimeters. Um, you know, and so then what did we start doing? Started riding 25 millimeter tires. And yeah, then, and then the four five was more geared toward 25. Yeah. So what happened between, you know, that first gen, so gen one SES to this introduction of the 4.5? I mean, what four was five the, or four five AR? No, just four, four five. five. So, I mean, how did that how did that rim shape how did that rim shape change, and why did it change? And well, I, th I think what we were we were kind of realizing two things at the same time. We when we go to the wind tunnel, we test with multiple tires, and that's because we know that you know if I test even with a GP four thousand, a twenty three, and a twenty five, I can get different aerodynamic curves on any wheel, and it also affects the stability. So. We knew that there was a difference in tire size, and it seemed like just in general people people were migrating and, and riding 25s more, so that's why we were testing that. And at the same time, we felt like we had uh, kind of a hole in our in our wheel line. So we had a 3.4, which we sold um, probably 10 to 1 over the 6.7, and we sold 10 to 1 of the 6.7 over the 8.9. and Internally, we all really liked the 6.7. That was kind of everybody's go-to wheel. Um, and none of us really cared for the 3.4. And, we, you know, just based on those uh, observations, we thought, well, may, if we made this 4.5, we could probably sell just as many and also give people the improvement of what we really like about the 7.8. Because I think people were just not buying that wheel based on it being as deep as it was, not necessarily because there was any downside uh at all to it uh aerodynamically or st uh, stability wise well i think i think the six seven sort of stood out to you because it, it i mean it seemed like a it seemed like a pretty deep wheel um and and it and it was a pretty deep wheel but you see you know a migration back toward um shallower shallower depths with regard to stability the six seven was a pretty stable wheel you know it's hard to you know, if you look back on at the time, it felt like a really stable wheel. Um, but then, you know, it just seemed like it was a little deeper than people felt comfortable with um, in general. And so a four or five, we felt like, you know, we can we can provide most of the aerodynamic gains. And with some of the new stuff we were learning, you know, be able to maybe even get more gains and still maintain the stability. Um, and also, as we were doing the shape development, both in CFD and in the wind tunnel, just looking more and testing primarily as if the worm was going to be designed around running a 25 C tire. So that's, yeah. So the final product with the 4.5 ended up being wider than the, ended up being wider than the first generation three, four, six, seven, seven, or eight, nine yeah. line. So because we did begin to look at the larger volume tire, 25 being the larger volume that we're discussing, but I also think what was a big, um, selling point for the four or five that you both alluded to is the fact that from an aerodynamic standpoint, it sat much, much closer to a 6.7 than it did to a 3.4. So with a marginal increase in depth and width, um, with the wider, higher volume tire, we really didn't sacrifice anything in terms of an aerodynamic performance. That was also the first wheel we kind of, first wheel we looked at different curvature to the rim for the front and rear. So. Right. Three, four, six, seven, eight, nine, both had different depths and widths for front and rear. 4.5, we started looking at curvature even. So on the on the front, the 48 is uh, more of a sharp uh, spoke face and the rear was a little bit more rounded. And I think that was um, also for stability and aerodynamics. Um, and we've, we've kind of carried that on through the rest of the, the wheels since. Yeah, and I think probably this is probably a good point or a good time to uh, back up a little bit here for any listeners that aren't maybe aren't super familiar. I've kind of kind of been operating on the assumption that everybody listening is really familiar with the Smart Navy System line of wheels, which is our Aero Road line of wheels. But 
when we talk about depths and when we talk about wheel models 6.7 or 3.4, um, that naming is based on the depth of the wheels front to back. So a, when we're talking about a 4.5, um, that wheel is a 48, was a 40-ish millimeter deep front. In this case, it was a 48 and the back was a 56. And so when we're referring to wheel models by their number 7.8, that's a 70 front, 80 millimeter rear, basically speaking. So, um, and the reason for that was this concept of real world performance of us testing bikes in the bike frame or testing wheels, sorry, excuse me, in, in, in frame. So doing the aero development in a bike frame in the wind tunnel, um, and really optimizing each rim for the, for the, uh, airflow in its position on the bike. So when you consider things that uh, move through air or water, you know, the front and the back of those objects are shaped very differently. And that, that was one of the philosophies with the smart Amy system as well. And with our wheels is that the front wheel sees a different airflow than the, than the back wheel. And so the front wheel was designed and optimized for, you know, the purpose of stability. Like we were willing to take some minor um, hits in drag reduction to improve stability and the back wheel was all about regaining any sort of losses we might have taken on the front wheel um, yeah. to bring the whole you bring that whole picture of aerodynamic performance of the front and back wheel up to it was kind uh, of a different philosophy too that comes from that builder builder philosophy too where we were um, we were saying uh, like we make our our own molds we're molding our spoke holes which requires more tools um, all of these things and we're willing to do that it would be much simpler to have one rim shape and just say this is pretty good for you know this is pretty good works well in the front and the rear and it saves us on tooling costs and it saves us on um, you know spoke counts and whatever we can sort of turn them into to whatever um, but we fundamentally approached everything from the perspective of trying to make trying to make the right the right part in the right part of the bike and yeah so with as a background, we had basically done Gen 1 SES. We went to this sort of intermediate wheel called the 4.5. And around the same time, we, um, to, we, we uh, decided to get into um, professional road racing. We had definitely sponsored some teams over the years, um, you know, some pro continental teams domestically here in the U.S. We were with United Healthcare, most notably. And after United Healthcare, we took a year off and um, we were looking for, but I wouldn't say super actively, but had, we were basically trying to prepare ourselves for the, to be ready for when the right opportunity came to enter um, the world tour. And that opportunity did um, present itself with um, a team at the time called MTN Quebec, which you all know now today is being Team Dimension Data for for Quebec. Um, so we went to we went into our first World Tour season in um, I guess they weren't even a World Tour team in the first year, but we went into our first professional uh, season with with uh, MTN Quebec at the time, now Dimension Data, in 2014. I'm not mistaken. That's right. And we, and the 4.5 was their wheel of choice. That was the wheel that they, you know, used for 80% of their races. And they um, went to the first classic season on that wheel. Yeah. And I mean, from the, from the very beginning of it, um, you know, having been around the world tour racing, um, you know, previously um, in my career, one of my, one of my big concerns was, just making sure that we were prepared for the, for the classic season, um, and making sure that we, um, we weren't going to have, um, durability issues. We felt really good about our durability, but it, we, uh, I wanted to make sure that we were tested, um, on the cobbles. And so, you know, we talked, um, we talked a lot with, uh, with some guys who had been around the industry and been around that in carbon wheels before. Um, and, um, and about their experiences and then when we did the, the bike launch i think you and i and the three of us actually were um uh, we went and did a test session with um serge powells and edvald and uh, tail boss to do just to do a quick and dirty like test on the cobbles um 
Yeah, just to see, <laughs> just to you know, just to get a like, or, or you know, a, a quick feel of seemed what like they the like and what they and what what was going to work or not. It seemed like the team was worried about it too. Like this is your first year as a you know you've never raced in Europe before you haven't you've never raced the classics you've never (laughs) raced the cobbles and you know know anecdotally speaking right every other carbon wheel has had a lot of issues right I mean not not that we weren't worried as well but well I just wanted to be prepared for it Um, and um, certainly Sir Fellow had a good pedigree with with that race and had gone through um, a big learning curve with with it and stuff and so we wanted we just did we wanted to hold up our end of the bargain. Um, so we went and did that test and, um, you know, it was interesting just seeing the guys, you know, the tires, the tires that they were, they were going to be riding like some 30 millimeter continentals, which is Sean, uh, Schwalbe. Oh yeah. Sorry. Schwalbe. Yeah. They, cause they had that new tire. Um, and we, you know, but you look at, you look at the wheel and you go, wow, you know, this wheel was designed around a 25. Um, and now we're putting a 30 on there and it looks like, it looks like our, um, our, our first generation wheels. It looks like a 65 with a, you know, with a 25 on it. looks like an, like, like an ice cream cone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, um, and what the riders were saying, um, was, you know, they all feel, they all feel fine. They seem, seem like they work work great. Um, which just tell me which one's fastest. That's the one that I want. And, you know, it's just kind of like, um, well, uh, none of them <laughs> really, um, at the this one point, that, the one that gets you to the finish line. Yeah, exactly. I mean the one that, yeah, the one that gets you to the finish line, but you know, it just, it just was kind of, um, it was just kind of one of those moments where we look at it and say, okay, clearly there's, there's another wheel for this, for this application. Um, if, if the tire is not a 23 or a 25 or even a 28. Well, I remember we were sitting there in the RV trying to not be frozen, mm-hmm. um, which it's hard. It's, it's hard to imagine being frozen. It's like 48 degrees outside or 50, but it's the coldest I've ever been. I think yeah. still this day. Yeah, it was. January and rainy, right? So it wasn't rain. It was just like I don't know. It was like yeah, it was raining via humidity. Yeah, <laughs> it was just not really raining. Just yeah, just wet that, everywhere. that classic uh, cold. But yeah, so we're in the on the RV and having this discussion and trying to get warm. And it's just like, man, how cool would it be to have like a will that doesn't give up any of these aerodynamic losses that are so clearly being given up. Not to mention what it's doing for stability. And, but at the end of the day, all that matters is that they finish the race. And so you got to get across the cobbles and that's all that matters. And so you're, you're basically making these major compromises in performance for 70% of the race to survive 30% of it. And, but then you're sitting there going like, oh yeah, it makes sense. Let's make a, yeah, you, you could totally for, see like some cool rim design that's optimized around, you know, 28, 30 millimeter tire, depending if you're talking clinchers or tubulars and how they're measured, whatever. So we'll just, you know, I can, I can envision that. And I think both of us could envision that, but then we're looking at the bikes and you're like, I don't, I don't, how did you even put a wheel? Like the, the bike, here's the problem. And so it's like, well, they, that first year they had to run old R threes. No, they were, uh, they were R three muds. R three muds. That's what it was. For, uh, specifically for, and they, for they had to go back and put 105 calipers on, on the bikes because the Ultegra and Durace wouldn't fit the, the tire size. Yeah. Wouldn't fit a 28. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, this was really the catalyst for the line of wheels we now know today is AR, right? So we go home from this trip and we talk to Simon and we say, Hey, we have this kind of crazy idea. I mean, it's, it's a little outlandish given that there's really not many bikes that this thing can fit on. I mean, we're looking at it saying, yeah, we know road disc, disc brakes are coming, but the bikes that were disc brake compatible at the time were a far cry from a race bike. Cross cross bikes. Yeah. I mean, they're effectively, yeah. Cross bikes are starting to get, you know, disc brakes pretty, pretty, uh, commonly and the road bikes were getting them only in sort of the more touring, uh, you know, in endurance, endurance, whatever category. And you're sort of sitting there going like, well, that bike would work from a clearance model standpoint, but 
there's no way these guys can race that bike. The chain stays are too long. The head tubes are too tall. The geometry is just not race geometry. So it's sort of like a non-starter for the team. Cause I mean, Cervelo was just launching their C5, if I'm not mistaken, cause I rode that bike in the next spring at yeah, Belgian waffle right. ride on the AR. And so they were just launching that bike. But again, from a geometry standpoint, it was just, it was too tall of a bike for the team to want to race. Cause they definitely presented the bike to the team and it was just like, eh, doesn't handle how we need it to handle. Yeah. I think they, they didn't have any plans on making that UCI approved either. Right. So all these, these roadblocks, right. For this wheel concept. And, but what we, I guess I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves. We did launch that wheel and it's known as the 4.5 AR, but you know, Clint, what did we learn in the development of that wheel? Like we came into the wind tunnel initially with all these, with just the idea or the question of, can we make, um, an aerodynamic system using a 28 millimeter tire and a rim. Like, can we, can we eliminate or reduce aerodynamic losses or maybe I'm not saying the question right, but yeah, I think, I think we went in hoping. So we took our old wheels, we tested a 28 on there and saw how much aerodynamic performance we were losing. And right, I right. think we just said, you know, if we could just even mitigate that, that would be great. Like if we could cut it in half, um, so they weren't, you know, losing tens of Watts with these, with these larger tires. And so we went back to rim shape development and we kind of had to break the rules of what we thought, uh, or what we had learned with 23s and 25s where you have a known tire shape and you, you need the rim to, uh, have camber in the brake where the brake track would be in order to catch the flow off of the tire and the, the shape generally has to be wider or, or a certain percentage wider than the tire. Um, we found that with these 28s, the, the larger diameter was, uh, the air was moving differently. So the camber, uh, changed and the width of the rim changed as a ratio of the width of the tire and kind of had to throw some of our old, uh, rules for developing rim shapes out the window for, for this wider tire, um, rim shape. And, um, what we found through, uh, multiple iterations of, uh, rim shape was that not only could we reduce the the amount of loss we were having over the tire size, but basically we're able to say develop a rim with a 28C tire that was as fast as the old 4.5 with a 25C tire, um, and and we were really excited about that because you were able you're able to get and the rolling resistance, um, the comfort, and all these other things that we we were talking about in it in addition to the same aerodynamic performance. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I think this is, I've been, we've been talking specifically around this world tour racing and how this development came about, because this is why, you know, sponsorship of teams has been so um, important for Envy over the years is, you know, it's great to have the validation and the long-term testing and durability that you, you know, that whole thing that comes from working with the a pro team, but really this, these, the inspiration for new product ideas that um, come to fruition and ultimately um, benefit those of us that ride bikes every day for a hobby. And so I think that's really what it's important to understand the catalyst for products like this, like how racing inspires and, 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 and drives innovation, but really how that trickles down into the real world for the rest of us that are just going out and riding bikes every day. So, um, so we, we learned all this stuff in the wind tunnel. It was cool. The team uses that wheel today. Um, initially they used it on, those R3 muds and we had to run, like Clint was saying, we had to run, um, in that case, we ended up going to old Ultegra calipers to make sure we had the tire clearance. Um, so we actually made a rim brake version of that just for world tour, just for the team to race the classics on. But, you know, it was always and only ever designed as a disc brake specific rim. Um, but we started test riding the wheel, obviously doing our own thing on it. And I mean, we're not racing world tour, but what did we learn about the wheel? It was, it was kind of a disaster. <laughs> Am I allowed to say? So we, we thought we had developed this rim that would be, I don't know, like, I guess we thought it was a gravel or like an all row, like a gravel tire. Right. So we would yeah, go, no, tell me well, about this disaster. I want to know more. 
Well, yeah, maybe you can edit all this out. <laughs> no, we're not. This is uh, <laughs> oh, this is uncut. Okay. Well, originally it was called a four by four. Right? Yeah, so it's called a four by four, and I think we thought we were developing this rim that could be, you know, if you wanted to run a twenty eight or a thirty C tire at the and at the time there really wasn't any performance. 28 or 30 seat tires. There was Schwalbe Pro One that was coming out, and there was a Hutchinson Sector, which is I wouldn't call it a road race performance well, tire, but I think it's important to note like 28 or 30, they're the same size tire, just depending on how the brand measured it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think we were, you know, we we called the rim the four by four. Is well, how things go here is engineering comes up with a name that they think or they name it something, and then marketing names it when it finally comes out. But we were calling it internally the four by four, and we thought. You know, you could run it with a slick tire or you could put like a cross tire on it and you could go out and hammer out some. Um, well, we were, also thinking, we were also thinking that, I mean, those tires, you put them, put them on there and they're measure 30, 31. Yep. And we're thinking, oh, that's a pretty big tire. I don't know. It was a big you, tire you compared to a 25. Well, yeah, I know. But <laughs> it's then like it's twice like, as big. <laughs> what can you, what can you not do with that, with that? Right. I mean, unless you're, you know, trying to do a cross race on a slick, you know, the 30s, 30s, pretty, pretty big tire. We were cross racing at the time too, which I think is actually an important thing because yeah, we're gravel riding today. But we're gravel riding today, but we are not cross racing. I mean, you, you, Kevin might still be cross racing. I'm a cross racer. But I mean, cross racing is a 32, 33 millimeter tire. And we were doing everything. We were riding, if we were gravel riding or something, we'd do that on our cross bikes and on that size tire. So when you now have this like, you know, Hutchison sector on a, on this AR rim. It that looks we were like it's the four by four, four by four. It looks as wide as a cross tire it's does. Dang right. near as wide as a <laughs> cross tire. So. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, you remember when we, we went and we were doing all those, all the riding out, out wherever. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, just trying to ride, ride those tires on all the gravel roads and everything. And then riding it, riding the bikes on the, on the real roads and then kind of going, and this doesn't really feel like we're giving anything up and, you know, kind of just, it's another sort of aha moment as, mm -hmm. as, as much as the original one where you look at, you look at it and you go, that rim wasn't designed for that tire. We need to design a rim to match the tire. Now we go and ride the new setup and you go, wow, this is, you know, this is what a road bike really could be for yeah. any, any sort of situation. Well, it went from, yeah. we need a rim for the tire to we need a bike for this wheel. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I say it was a disaster, like I think we were designing like, Hey, I can just go cruise gravel roads on this aerodynamic wheel all the time. And what we found out is it was okay at that. I mean, depending on, but more dependent on your tire. And when you started riding it at, on the sections in between, you're, you're realizing that this 28 C with this aerodynamic rim, I would ride this all the time rather than just yeah, that was never part of the original thought process. This wasn't like a everyday wheel to start out with. This was like a sort of specialty wheel. Um, it wasn't until it wasn't until later when you look at the aerodynamics and then you ride it that you you say, oh wow, this could this could really be an everyday thing. This could be what road road bikes. I mean, like. thinking thinking back 10, 15 years in Utah, every every year they find some new road to chip sill they, oh, yeah. they'll take that quarter that quarter inch gravel and they'll put it down on the road and they'll throw tar on it and you i remember like you would just avoid those roads oh they chip sealed that road i guess we're not going to ride that road for the summer until yeah. it kind of wears in it costs you five miles an hour because it costs you five miles an hour miles, because you're riding a 20, 21 c tire at 120 psi and I mean, with 25s, that started to go away. It and was life-sucking. Oh, yeah. But with, but, but with 28s, like, I don't know that I've ever thought about it since. Nope. No. Well, I mean, that was the thing that was, like, such a, um epiphany was, like, riding the cobbles on. I mean, we went out and did a fair amount of ride testing, both in terms of producing, you know, the video we did for the AR launch. But, I mean, it was magic carpet ride compared to the other wheel tire scenarios we were we were testing and riding yeah well i mean it also just um tubeless versus versus non two. i mean yep another i think another this, sort of step change when this wheel launched like kind of the gravel and all road segment was still it was still in its infancy like there were you know there were a lot of events there were a lot of people doing it but it definitely wasn't mainstream yet and 
we had a lot of like Speedvog and a lot of custom builders were starting to do bikes that were designed around this. And maybe it was like kind of the start of like, you know, the one bike that does everything. And so in my opinion, I think that's where the four or five AR kind of got, I mean, it, it kind of got a cult status there because no one was doing a purpose built wheel set or purpose built products weren't out there yet for that segment. So, you know, it, it really, it really caught on a lot and that's where, you know, you still, we go out to dirty cans and you see four or five ARs out there. Is it the best wheel for that? No, but you know, it was kind of like that one wheel, as you're saying, one wheel to kind of, that you can do everything on. But I think there's some reasons specifically that we, I mean, not knowing then what we know now, <clears throat> we developed this shape for a high volume road tire and the internal rim width is 25 millimeters. Um, just to pull back to why that gives us the ideas that we have. Well, what are we riding on the mountain bike side? Our most popular mountain bike wheel in 2016 um, is our M60HV, which is a 27 millimeter internal. Our cross country um, rim is a 23 millimeter, no, 21 20. millimeter internal, which is the M50. So we have a cross country race wheel that's a 21 millimeter internal, and we have this new AR that's a 25. So we're looking at it and going like, well, it sure makes an awesome, you know, support platform for a 40 millimeter gravel tire, or really probably more like a 35 to 38 then. Um, but you know, what you did with that from terms of aerodynamics is, you know, now you've got a heavier, heavier wheel than you really need. You're not really getting the aerodynamic benefit because you've just reintroduced the ice cream cone shape to the wheel system. And so it's a learning, right? Like you, we looked at that wheel and out of that wheel, um, evol has evolved other wheels, which today would be a 3.4 AR because we, what did we learn? We, we learned that everybody wanted to ride the 4.5 AR, but the feedback's consistently, Hey, this would be really cool if you made something lighter, um, maybe something a little more versatile because this depth is, you know, not the depth that I think that I want, even though it was the depth for maximum, you know, if, if aero efficiency is still the goal, then you're going to be better off on the four or five than the new 3.4 AR. But it's sort of this, this is what we're getting to, right? Is this whole evolution and, you know, road riding's changed, right? Like it's slowly racing still very much a thing. It serves a different purpose today, I believe, than it did, you know, 10 years ago. Um, you know, 10 years ago, everybody goes out and wants to buy Lance Armstrong's bike. Yeah. And today what the bike that most of us are riding is not a world tour replica race bike. And, you know, why is that? Cause those bikes aren't that much fun to ride. No, <laughs> they're really fun to ride one, <laughs> one hour at a time, which is what we do, which is what we do at, at lunch. Let yeah. lunch we go ride. Cause I always flat as soon as I hit the first single track. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, road riding's changed a lot in that way. Like it's more experiential these days, right? Like, yeah. um, events have changed just in that's, that's helped open people's eyes to like what, what you can do on a drop bar bike. And yeah, I mean, you're looking at, I think the most notable of those events would be Belgian waffle ride, mm -hmm. um, where you are riding everything from single track to, you know, that was one on a world tour bike though. It's true. Just, but I mean, I, so that, that, Kevin, that Kevin sort of is means our office retro ground. <laughs> <laughs> he can't be retro anymore. Cause now the Madone and the Venge and all those bikes clear 30 millimeter tires. So he can still be grouchy about it. I can, I can do it. <laughs> but I think that's the, <laughs> it's true. Kevin, Kevin can do whatever he wants. Um, but you know, in this discussion, I mean, really that's what we kicked this off is this discussion around the evolution of road. And I think that kind of brings it full circle is we went from this concept of a wheel, like the four or five AR where we're now riding a 28 millimeter tire. And it's not something we're running just to go and do like some, random dirt road somewhere like having the ultimate commuter wheel this is like the wheel that we're now riding every day from like our wednesday worlds to the you know the tuesday night ride every, you know all our lunch rides you know this is the wheel that's getting ridden all the time and you and, that at the attack last year yeah i mean the attack i mean it's just like 
this is my road wheel set. I ride four or five ARs and since then we've launched a three, four AR, but which is, you know, in my opinion, it's a far more versatile, you know, lightweight. It's a better wheel for all the riding we typically do on a daily basis. But, um, so we had this wheel, we had this AR platform, but now, and this is sort of what we, I think we're envisioning back, you know, once we started riding that wheel and realizing this wheel is reaches far beyond like, an adventure wheel set to get you off the the paved road is there needs there there's now the world tour race bikes will put that wheel and that tire in the bike and that can be your daily driver and a race bike at the same time is that pretty much That's fair to say like it's where where we're at i would say it's our it's our most versatile wheel in the in the range i mean if you look at three foot the three, four yeah. AR, you know, what it's accomplished with our athletes. And, you know, since we launched it in April, I mean, it's one professional criterium. It's, it's one dirty Kansas. Um, it's, it's been road raced. It, it's basically done the whole, any segment of, of road racing and gravel, like it's been used there already and with huge success. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's really cool to just see how things have evolved over the years, just moving from, you know, we've all been riding bikes long enough to have been on a 20, at least a 23 millimeter tire and and followed the innovation curve all the way up to the point where we're pretty consistently riding 28s. Um, one of the questions we get a lot from customers is sort of like, where where's the drop off? What's the, what's the volume of tire where you start to, see degradation of aerodynamic performance and maybe clint you could address that since you've spent a lot of time on this i, I don't want to i don't want to close the door on future development so i'll say for right now we figured out how to do 20 uh, 32 and and below so a 4.5 ar being designed around a 28 3.4 AR being designed uh, around a 32, 28 to 32 kind of tire range. Um, and, and we figured out how to do that aerodynamically and we're working on the. Well, it's also important to note that different tires perform differently. Like I've seen the wind yeah. tunnel results of one thirty-two versus another 32 millimeter tire. And I would absolutely ride one of those because it actually was on par with some brands, 28s. Yep. And then there's 32s that yep. are horrendous so yeah i mean maintaining the focus on the whole holistic um approach to the to the system um i mean aerodynamics may not be the only uh, it's not the only fat only factor at that point yeah sure. so it's so. interesting like as we go back and talk about line uh lines of wheels we used to have three fours six sevens eight nines and that line was based entirely on the depth right like most aerodynamic to least aerodynamic. And now I think the line, I mean, I don't know, we don't, we definitely don't market it this way, but I, I see the G23, the 3.4 AR and the 4.5 AR as a line of wheels and based on um, kind of intended use from most rough to least rough and uh, least aerodynamic to most aer aerodynamic, if that makes sense. So it's so like fun road versus fast road to. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You, can, you can try to <laughs> write it down. You're the marketing guy. But um, yeah, like the, it's no longer about, um, you know, the, the holistic part of the story is not everybody's running a 25 C tire, so I can't have a line of wheels that is all developed around 25 C tire, but I can have a line of wheels around intended use. And if I'm going to go ride gravel gravel roads all day long, I'll get a G23 with a 40C tire on it. If it's going to be more mixed, it's a 3.4 AR with a 32. And if I'm going to be primarily on asphalt, I'm on a 28 on 4.5 AR. So where's this all going? What's next? Where do we go from here? I don't know that we're allowed to talk about that. That's the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's the right answer. Um, well, I think that, I think that about sums it up. Do you guys have any other parting remarks or comments you'd like to discuss before we shut her down? No, no, good. We're, 
you've forced us as engineers to do an entire week's worth of talking here in the last hour. So <laughs> we're probably good. <laughs> You're done taking the rest of the week off. Yeah. <laughs> we just won't talk for the rest of the week. So. All right. Well, with that, um, thank you, Clint and Kevin for your time. And, uh, given that to be an official podcast, you have a, you have to have a sponsor. Um, this, this episode is brought to you by envy. Shocker. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Wait for it. Yeah. Envy and probably the next episode as well. And probably the one after that. So, um, yeah, thanks everyone for joining us here at the inside envy podcast. Um, we are grateful for any comments or feedback that you would like to uh, send our way. You can do so by emailing us at podcast at envy.com and we will um, embrace positive feedback and praise and all negative feedback will be deleted immediately. So, yeah. <laughs> Or put on t-shirts and we can wear them. <laughs> yeah. or, or use for future t-shirt ideas. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> all right, that's it from us here at Envy. Catch you next time.